talking about hope is going to be our primary thing. I, I need to ask you before we begin, how many of you have ever prayed boldly, audaciously, prayed bold, perhaps even foolhardy prayers, if you would? Anybody? Anybody prayed like that? I'm talking about the yeah, I'm talking about the type of prayer where you look back and you see the God who created out of nothing, that you remember the God who parted the Red Sea and people walked across on dry lands, the the the, the God and you remember the God who feeds people in the wilderness and you're going, that's the kind of God I need for this prayer. If anything is going to happen, that God needs to show up. Because otherwise, what I'm asking is so far beyond what I can think or hear or see or imagine that unless that God shows up, this prayer is is futile. Nothing's going to happen. It's so impossible. But here it is, God. I'm going to be so bold, so audacious. I'm going to come before you and ask this thing. And here it is. Come to this time of of Advent, and we are considering this theme of hope. And before we we begin on this theme, let me make sure that I clarify for you this idea, or at least a biblical understanding of of hope. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard this spiel before or this definition before. But let me just remind us what I mean when we talk about. Um, Hope from a biblical perspective, because too often times when we think of hope, we think in, in when we think of hope, there is the anticipation or perhaps there is the possibility of, I guess, failure, the possibility of it not coming to pass. For instance, we might say, I hope to go fishing this weekend or People are traveling, I got family traveling in from all over the United States to have Christmas with us, and I hope that they arrive safely. There is the possibility then that that hope would not be realized, but that's not what we mean by biblical hope, because in biblical hope, we hope in God, we hope in Christ, and there is an expectant certainty that the one in which we hope will bring about that which Um, is important or that which we are hoping for. So keep this in mind. The the idea is hope, but hope isn't uh, just like, oh, I hope maybe something could happen. No, I am going to place my hope in the God who spoke the universe into existence, created it out of nothing. I'm going to place my hope in the God who sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, and fulfilled all of his promises completely and perfectly, that is where I am placing my hope. So, in Advent, this year, at least for this year, we will be looking back. We will be looking back to, um, to Bethlehem, where God has kept his promise and provided a Savior, and we will be looking forward to when God will keep his promise when the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of his of our Lord and of his Christ. And we hope in expectant hope that that day will come and will come soon. Let me give you just a little bit of background as we consider 
this passage of text in Isaiah because we're kind of coming at it without a whole lot of context. So let me just fill you in super briefly on, on the setting of this passage of text. And the setting is this, that God seems to be absent. God seems to be far away. God seems to um, be distant. In other words, wickedness and evil are going about unrestrained. Jerusalem has fallen. The temple has been destroyed. Babylon, the pagan Babylons are, are Babylonians are ruling over um, Jerusalem. The people are being oppressed by this foreign army. Idolatry seems to be rampant and God seems to be nowhere to be found. And it is in this context then that we have this prayer. And by the way, what we have here is a prayer and it's an audacious prayer. It is a bold prayer. It is a prayer that unless the God who created all things shows up, nothing is going to come about. And so that is a, that's our preview. It is a prayer. It is a plea that the God of heaven and earth would act. And here's the basic flow of the message today. God, do something. Do something. Don't you see what's going on? Do something. But do something not because we have any merit of our own. In fact, we're unworthy to even ask you to do something. Do something not based in our worth, but based because you are our Father, you are our Creator, and you are our Covenant Lord. So do something, Lord, not on our merits, not because we deserve you to even come before you, but do something because you are the one who made us. So that's the general flow of where we're going to go today. So let's go ahead and follow along with me as we read Isaiah chapter 64, verses one through nine. This is God's word. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known among your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been for a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean and our right, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquity. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We're the clay and you are our potter. We are the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. This is God's inerrant word. The state of this is a prayer. It's a big prayer. I think as we go along, you're going to realize it gets bigger and bigger. It gets grander and grander. It gets bolder and bolder. It gets more and more audacious, perhaps even foolhardy, to even ask the things that the supplicant is asking. It is a prayer that begins with, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Tear open the heavens and make yourself known. It appears that God is 
is absent. God is seemingly absent. He is distant. And the petitioner says, Lord, we need you to show up. Not just show up, but you need to open up heaven and come down and be in our midst. Whatever it is he's asking or whatever it is he's going to ask, it's going to take the presence of God to bring it about. This is like I said, it's a bold prayer. Lord, open up the heavens and come down and meet with us. There is obviously this great gulf, this great chasm between Israel and God. There is this, um, like I said, a, a chasm, a gap. And Lord, there is too big of a distance between you and, and, and us. We need you to take the initiative and come down and be in our midst. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. God's long suffering and patience has not turned the hearts of this people to obedience. God has been patient with Israel for year after year after year after year. He sent them prophet after prophet. And in his long suffering and in his patience, the people did not respond. And God then sent forth trial and difficulty and judgment. And in judgment, the people's hearts were not softened and they did not turn. So Lord, long-suffering has not changed the hearts of the people. Punishment has not changed the hearts of the people. Lord, rend the heavens and come and be in our midst. The positioner seems to understand that God can intervene in the affairs of the world. God is not so transcendent. He is not so distant that he cannot open up heaven and dwell in our midst. That's what he's asking. Lord, dwell amongst us. And this next phrase, as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes uh, water to boil to make your name known to our adversaries that nations might tremble at your presence. This God is a consuming fire. This seems like a, a, a... Uh, A couple of verses seem out of place, this idea of a burning fire. But I I think the idea, I'm pretty certain that the idea here is, Lord, when you show up, stuff happens. Just like fire. Fire causes stuff to happen. Fire causes water to boil and fire consumes dead wood. When you show up, stuff happens. I'm not just asking you to show up and hang out with us. I'm asking you to show up knowing that when God is present, Things happen. Big things happen. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And in your presence, things will happen. God is not a benign God when he arrives on the scene. Things start to happen. Let your presence be so manifest that even your enemies react. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And let your adversaries, Lord, I pray that they would, would, would respond to your presence. But if not, let them flee. But let them know perfectly well that God is in our midst. Lord, everybody needs to know that you are in our midst. This is a bold and um, uh, audacious prayer. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. As when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did, did not look for, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. He looks back now, and this is really common in, in many of the prayers in the Hebrew Scriptures. They look back at the awesome things that God did. 
And they remembered, God, you used to do great things. You used to do spectacular things. You used to do marvelous things. Things that we couldn't even imagine. Things that, we would, that caused us to wonder, God, rend the heavens and come down and do those things. Do it again, Lord. There was a time when nothing existed and you spoke and then everything came into existence. That's the kind of power, that's the kind of presence we're looking for. Lord, there was a time when there was a a body of water that cut off your people from salvation and there was no way across and their pursuers were seeking to kill them and there was no way to get across this body of water. There was a dead end in front of them, their enemies behind them. And Lord, you did something amazing and miraculous and stupendous. Do that again. That's what I'm looking for, Lord. That's what we need. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Do that in our midst. Lord, our sins consume us. Our adversaries overwhelm us. Our hearts are incapable of turning. If there is any hope, Lord, you're going to have to do something drastic. You're going to have to do something big. You're going to have to change hearts. You're going to have to do something awesome. Lord, if you're present, that's what's going to happen. So this is the beginning of the prayer. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Do something big. Do something like like I've heard of you doing. That's what we need to have happen. The petitioner goes on and says, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for them. Nobody has seen a God like you. First of all, we should know God is unique. He is not like the gods of this age. He is not like the gods of this world. He's not like the gods of our imagination. He is a God whom is beyond our, our concept. He is beyond our, our grasp. He's beyond our understanding. He is a God who is beyond our ear. Has never heard of a God like this. And I has never seen a God like this. It can't even enter into the hearts of man. A God like you. Folks, if you have a God that you fully and completely understand and grasp, you have a God who is much too small. If God is only a God of my intellect, oh, he's pretty dinky. We need a God much bigger than what I can understand and what we can grasp and what we can conceptualize. We need a God who is beyond what we can hear or think or see. The basis of this plea is there is no God like you. You are other. You are not like the gods of this world. You are not like the idols of this age. God, you work in ways that transcend human senses. Eye is not seen and ear is not heard. God works in ways that man-made deities cannot and do not work. Who's ever heard of a God like you? Men make up gods all the time. But those gods end up being looking just like the men who make them up. They're not like, a, like you. We can't even conceive of a God like you. You're not like the gods that men make up. You are not the God that is created by human minds. They make gods and they carve eyes in them and, the, and those gods can't see. And they carve ears in them and the, and the gods can't hear. And they make 
make, give them mouths and the mouths can't speak and they have to put them on a base so they say, don't topple over. You're not like that. You're a God who sees. You're a God who hears. You're a God who speaks. And you're a God who does not topple over and need to be carried from place to place because you are a God who is other, different uh, from the gods of this world. See, our help can't be provided by the gods of the age. They're just simply human fabrications. We, need, we are in need of the God who transcends human limitations. I know Charlie was speaking on the Trinity this morning. It's a tough concept. I remember one time explaining the Trinity to somebody who did not believe in the Trinity, part of a group that did not hold to the truth of the Trinity. And basically the response was this. I can't understand it. I reject it because I can't understand it. I'm, I'm thinking, so you need a God that is limited to your, the, the span of your understanding. The God who has revealed himself in, in, his, in our word is an eternal, infinite, holy God. Yes, we can understand him to a certain degree, but if you think you can grasp the entirety of the God who created all things, you have much to learn. Because as soon as you think you've got him in a box, he will blow that box up. And the petitioner here is not wanting one of the gods. I don't want a God that I can understand. I don't want... A, human reason and human limitations are not the answer to our problems. The scientific method, that which is testable, that which is repeatable, that which is observable, is great for science. I need something else. I need something beyond that. Because we have wicked hearts. And there is no remedy, so God rend the heavens and come down and be amongst us. Because only you can do that. Only you have the ability to fix that. No matter how much we try, no matter how advanced we get in our technology, no matter how, um, how connected we are, no matter how smart and intelligent we become, we cannot fix a broken human heart. We can go and repair clogged hearts. We can even transplant a new heart, but we cannot fix the human being. We cannot give them a heart that longs after God. But the God whom ear has never heard, can't even begin to comprehend and I cannot see and can't even enter into the heart of man. That's the God I'm calling upon to, to rend the heavens and come down and be in our midst. We are in need of the God who transcends human li limitation. Israel had been guilty of worshiping other gods and God, Yahweh turned them over to those other gods. I, there's a place in Scripture I, I failed to, uh, to look it up before... Um, um, failed to, to, to look it up before getting up here, but um, basically God says, you like those other gods. I'm going to send you into a nation that is full of those other gods and you're going, to be you're going to become so sick of those other gods. They can't do anything. That's where they're at. They can't do anything for you. You think they're of value. They're of no value whatsoever. They've never done anything. Nobody's ever seen them do anything spectacular. Nobody's ever seen them do anything. All they do is set them up on a stand and 
Isaiah mocks the idol maker. He goes and he gets a tree and he cuts a piece of wood, cuts it in half, and one half he carves eyes and ears and a mouth and fixes a base on it and falls down and says, you are my God, and the other half he takes and burns in the fire. Isaiah mocks that. The Lord... From of old, no one has heard, or perceived, has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for Him. You meet Him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. God, you're not just a transcendent God in the heavens, high above all things, but you are the God who enters into the realm of mankind. You interact with people. You interact with those who wait for you. You dwell with those who joyfully work righteousness. You are the God who um, is present among those who remember your ways. But behold, Lord, that's not us. The prayer is now about to get big. If you think that the prayer was bold at this point, the petitioner is now going to just ask for the impossible. Lord, see, I understand who you are, Lord. I've heard about what you've done. And I understand that you are able to be present amongst those who who work joyfully for you. I know that you can be, that you can interact for those who wait for you. I know that you will walk among those who remember your ways, but that's not us. I'm asking you to be present with us, and we're not that good person. We're not that righteous nation. Here's what we are, Lord. This is who I'm asking you to rend the heavens and come down and be part of. Lord, we've sinned. We understand, Lord, that you meet the righteous. I'm asking, Lord, that you would do something so unique and glorious. I'm asking that you would meet sinners like us. That's what I'm asking. We have not waited for you, Lord. We are not the people who have joyfully worked in righteousness. And we are not the people who have remembered your ways, Lord. That's not us. But I'm still asking that you would come and rend the heavens and come into our midst. Lord, we're the people who have sinned. And in our sins, we have been a long time. Lord, this isn't just a one-time event. Lord, we have a history of rebelling against you. Our nature is to shake our fist at you over and over and over again. We have repeatedly spurned your ways and killed your prophets and, and mocked your message. Lord, we have sinned and we have sinned repeatedly and we have sinned for a long time, Lord, rend the heavens and come down and be with us. Do you think? I told you this prayer is going to get bold. This prayer is going to get audacious. Really? You're going to ask God to come amongst poor, helpless, sinful people like this. We're like the unclean. This takes us back to those who 
might have been lepers in the community and they would have been cast outside of the camp, cast outside of the city, separated from the congregation, separated from worship, separated from God. And Israel has become like a a leper. Not only has she been discounted by God, but she's been cast out of her own land. And she is now in the land of idolaters and in the land of pagans. Lord, that's us. We're like people who are unclean. And in fact, Lord, even our good deeds are futile in your sight. Even our good deeds. have no bearing or merit in your sight. Even our good deeds are vile. Lord, we're like a faded leaf. A faded leaf that gets driven by the, by the wind, unable to direct our own path. We are like that who has, we have no direction. The wind blows here and there and we just go wherever it takes us. That's us. Nobody rouses to take hold of you. Nobody is calling upon you. We have been separated from you by our sin. God, rend the heavens and come down and save us. Will we be saved? There's the prayer. I told you it was a pretty bold prayer. But now the petitioner pleads, not on his merit, obviously, he's just said, we're unclean, we sin all day long, repeatedly, over and over and over again. Our iniquities, like the wind, take us wherever we want. Nobody calls on your name, nobody arouses himself. You've hidden your face from us, you've made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. Lord, I'm not pleading on our merit, we got nothing, nothing. Not only do we have nothing, we probably have a negative balance because we have spurned you, mocked you, killed your prophets. We have. But Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Verse 8 But now, but now, O Lord, not on behalf of our merit not on behalf of our goodness. Others might be able to plead in that regard, not us. I'm asking for something bigger. I'm asking for something much more extravagant. I'm asking for, for something much bolder. I'm, I'm asking, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down because you're our Father. I plead on behalf of the fact that you have made us your own, that you adopted us. It may have been a long time ago, Lord, but you made a covenant with us. And you called us your children. And you said that you are our Father. And you made us your own. And Lord, I'm asking, on that basis, on the basis that you're our Father, that you would come and be amongst us. I'm asking, Lord God, that while we have abandoned you, that you are our Father, and I'm trusting, I am hoping, there is a certain expectation that you have not abandoned us, even though we've walked away from you. You're the potter, and we're the clay. Our origin, our, our, our origin is in you. You made us. We didn't exist before you. And you made us and created us for your glory. We exist because of you. We exist for your own goodwill and pleasure. So, Father, 
as a father who gives good gifts to his children, as a father who rejoices at the return of the prodigal, as a potter who has formed us, I'm asking, Lord, look favorably upon us. Do not be angry with us and do not remember our sins forever. Lord, that's what I'm asking. We who sin repeatedly, we who have spurned your name, we are asking, Father, Lord, that you would do something that ear is not heard and eye is not seen, perhaps not even entered into the hearts of man. I am asking, Lord, Father, Potter, Creator, have mercy on us. Be with us. Don't be angry with us. And don't remember our iniquities. That's what I'm asking. petition ends with this. Behold, please look. We are your people. I want you to know when God looks in Scripture, when God looks upon his people, it is one of favor. It is one of blessing. And he's now asking, Lord, look favorably upon us. Right? The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord look, um, look upon you. May, may the Lord look favorably upon you. This is what he's asking. Lord, look upon us. Don't turn your eyes away from us, but look on us and see us in our condition and have mercy, not because we're, we are not the people who joyously going about your We're the people who sin against you day after day after day. That's what I'm pleading. I told you this was a big prayer. This was an audacious prayer, perhaps a, a reckless prayer, a foolhardy prayer. Who would pray such a thing? Or who would believe that such a God would even have mercy on these types of people? And this is... Advent. And this is the hope of Advent that the petitioner's prayer was actually answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. I don't think he had any idea what he was going to receive. Who had any concept that God would enter into the human realm as a child born in Bethlehem. Lord, rend the heavens and come down and have mercy on us. Forgive us. Well, how is God going to forgive us? He's going to forgive us in the person of Jesus Christ, who is in God incarnate on that, that day when God took on flesh and dwelt among us in a manger. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. He said that I can't see and ear can't hear or it doesn't even enter into the thoughts of man the things that, that you do. And I guarantee you that the petitioner had no concept of a child born in Bethlehem. So, looking back as we conclude this message, let's look back. God did rend the heavens and God did come down. God met mankind in his frailty. I had not seen, ear had not heard, it had not even entered into the hearts of men the plan that God had devised. And yet there it was, Christmas Day, or what we call Christmas Day. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. The Lord rent the heavens and came down and dwelt among us and began to work out his plan. It is this that the prophet was hoping. It is this that the the petitioner here is hoping. And it is a confident expectation that the Lord will do and answer his prayers. 
But it's not just a looking back, it's a looking ahead. God will again rend the heavens and come down. We often call this our blessed hope. Our blessed hope. We hope, not like there's a certain uh, possibility that it won't happen, but it is a certain expectation that that day will come. Just like Christmas Day came, the blessed day of the Lord's rending the heavens and coming down again is a certainty. It is our blessed hope that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ on the day that he rends the heavens again and comes down. This is the season of hope. Let us consider our ways and let us anticipate the arrival of our gracious King. Would you stand and pray with me?